Father, this morning, we come to you. You are our God. You are our Father. We come to you through Jesus, the only way. We come to you today for the hearing of our ears. Touch our ears once again, Lord, that we might hear. Touch our hearts that we may believe. You said in your word you would cause us to walk in your ways. Touch, Lord. Touch. Because in that way there is peace. In that way there is your presence. In that way there is strength and healing and deliverance above all. In that way there is rest. Help us to hear that we might learn of you, Lord. Your ways and how to walk in your ways. We wait in your presence. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We'll continue from where we, not actually from where we stopped on Wednesday, but I'm not sure. I know many of you were in there on Wednesday. And I don't know those who were in there on Wednesday, whether you listened to the message on of Wednesday, but... We've been looking from, also from First Chronicles, where God had told Solomon, the greatest day in Israel's history, the times won't be the way you think it is, because we humans, after the fall, have this tendency to walk away from God. Our hearts tend to wander away, our feet tend to walk away in disobedience, and then tough times will come. Those tough times are from God. And then he said, if my people who are called by my name. He said, if you humble, and then if you pray, then two more things. If you seek my face, and then if you turn from your wicked ways, God said he would hear. And uh, the first gate we've been looking at it is where we get stuck is the gate of humility. And supposing I said on Wednesday we pass through that gate, we come to gate two. We need to pray. But everything in God's kingdom, there is order, there are principles. Everybody prays. But why don't prayers get answered? Because there is structure in God's kingdom. So today and in subsequent weeks, probably as the Lord leads, we'll hear more on prayer how we pray, and how we get our answers. When it comes to praying, you will see the disciples always noticed Jesus' prayer life, and that's why they request to him to teach us to pray. We also saw on Wednesday the difference between the requests, the prayer requests, or the prayers of the disciples before Pentecost and after Pentecost. When they were walking with Jesus, their prayers were like strange. Like I said on Wednesday, send down fire on those who don't believe. Right? Uh, send the people away who are hungry, who have been following us. And can we sit on your right and on your, your left? Those were their prayers. They sound like more like us. Their prayers. But after Pentecost, the book of Acts, you will see the prayers are absolutely different. 
there were signs and wonders because of their prayers. When they prayed, prayed, places were shaken, prison doors were opened, and their faith don't fail. Even under persecution, they rejoiced. So something happened. I believe their prayer life changed after the coming of the Holy Spirit, which we look again. So the greatest impact you see is there on their prayer life. So on Wednesday, when we looked on prayer, we looked from James chapter 4. We will again go back to James. Today we will look in, in detail. And I said on Sunday, James, Pastor, not Pastor James, the writer of the epistle, James, is a very practical te- teacher. He's not a theologian, he's a practical teacher. And he tells us from James chapter 4 and verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? And then verse 2, he says, You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Why do people fight with each other? Why can't people get along with each other? People fight outwardly with each other because they are raging or fighting inwardly. Jesus had perfect peace inside, so you will never see him fighting with anybody outside. He's able even to forgive his worst enemies. Why does all this come? He says, you lust, you murder, you covet, you fight, you war, all the fights in our life. All the fights in our life, honestly, even believers, all the fights in our life is connected with one thing. You do not have. You do not have. That's where the fights begin. And God says there, you do not have because you do not ask. God says, you ask the wrong people. Wife fights with the husband because she wants something and he doesn't give it. Maybe because he doesn't want to give it or maybe he doesn't feel moved to give it or he doesn't have the money to buy it. God says, you don't have because you don't ask whom? God. He says, all these fights are a result of prayerlessness. There is so much strife in the lives of people because of lack. And what is the primary cause of lack in the lives of God's people? Simple. You do not have because you do not ask. The answer is staring in our eyes. Absolutely staring in our eyes, but we don't see. We read this over and over and over again, and yet we end up with lack because we still don't ask. We ask everybody except the one who can answer. In John chapter 16 and verse 24, Jesus will tell his disciples, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I'm just recapping on Wednesday and then we will continue from where we need to start. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, God says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Strange, right? And in verse 9 and 11, God says, Oh, what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. 
if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him our father gives good things and john james 1:17 says not only is that his gift is perfect every perfect and good gift comes from above all these are there we are not looking at the next one Remember, that is for another day where you ask, you do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3 will say, you ask, but you don't receive. That is a different thing altogether, which we'll look at another day. Prayerlessness is the curse of the 21st century Christian. One man of God put it this way, prayerlessness is not weakness for a believer, for a Christian. It is wickedness. It's not weakness. It is wickedness. And I also mentioned John Bunyan in his Pilgrim's Progress said, Prayer will make a man cease from sin. But sin will make a man cease from prayer. Okay? So we also know there is no sin in your life, my life, anybody's life here. Prayer or actual real dependence on God would not have prevented. If he had prayed, we would not have sinned. Why? Before you can sin, what comes? Temptation comes. And that is what Jesus said in Mark 14 and verse 38. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is very weak. When temptation comes, you will fall. So he says, be watchful and pray. If you pray, then you will not enter. When you enter into temptation, you are strong. You are able to withstand. You can avoid. Don't think about avoiding sin. Think about how to deal with temptation. And the reason people sin is because they give in to temptation. And the reason they fall during the time of temptation is because we do not pray. Prayer. Lack of prayer. Okay? So we know very well how did Jesus overcome. He overcame because of prayer. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, scripture says, Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death, because the wages of sin is death, so he was able to avoid Adamic death, because he could overcome sin always. And how did he overcome? Because of prayer. He overcame temptation. Hebrews 4.15 will say, he will say, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. Just like us. He was tempted at all points, but was without sin. Reason? He overcame temptation. How did he overcome temptation? Through prayer. Okay? So God says, you do not have because you do not ask. So we will get to today's message. And the title of today's message is Born Again Atheist. What are the people in the church? Born Again Atheist. Which is true. If you check our prayer life. Okay. We saw, we will see as we study the book of James. Very practical teachings on prayer. And there's a man of God who said, everyone ultimately, every child of God ultimately will reach a certain stage in life 
where you have nothing left but prayer. Nothing left but God. It doesn't matter who you are. Right? You might be the richest person on earth. And then you meet your doctor and the doctor says, pray. Meaning, there is no hope. You might have everything else in life and then your lawyer says, pray. Tomorrow is the verdict. Pray. Okay? Or you meet your pastor and the pastor listens to all of it and says, you know what, this is beyond me to counsel you even. Just pray. Okay? Pray. So we have to see prayer not in extremities, exigencies, when you are facing extreme situations. But God says prayer should be more like breathing. Let's look into today's message. The problem is Christians are often very, very fatalistic, okay, in their approach towards God. Why do we don't pray? Because often our theology stands in the way. We misunderstand and misinterpret verses like, our God does not change. We don't interpret it correctly, we misinterpret it. But we forget the fact for us, this message will only work with believers, okay? Because to the others, there is no way you can pray. Because the only way you can pray to the living God is through Jesus. An unbeliever cannot pray to the living God. Understand that he may hear and send salvation, ways for they can get saved, but other than that, they cannot pray to the living God. Only we can through Jesus, okay? But often we who have access to God misunderstand verses like God does not change. But we need to realize, what does it mean? Does God change? When it comes to us, his children, God is primarily a father. First and foremost, he is a father. That's the first thing when they say, teach us to pray. Jesus said, our father, Abba, our father. And the first thing, message he has to the world after ascension, after resurrection, is go and tell my brothers, I am going to my father and your father. First thing he wants to tell is that, you know, don't get this false picture. He is your father. That's why he says in Matthew 7 and verse 11, he says, If you fathers, we fathers, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We fathers, we know how to Give good things to our children. No father gives bad things to his children. He may keep the bad for himself, but he will, the parent will always give the good to the children. He says, if you earthly parents want good things for your children, okay, how much more your heavenly father? See, God does not have an issue with things. Things. As long as we don't fall in love with them. And are not enslaved by things. Okay? God doesn't have issue with things. We have issues with things. Once we get a thing, then we are like the monkey with his hand in that pot. We will never let go of that thing. God doesn't have issue with things. As long as he says, you love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and use these things, I have no issue. Because in Matthew 6 and verse 33, he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. 
He said, I will give you all these things which you need for life. You don't have to worry about all these things. In James chapter 1 verse 17, we saw that every good and perfect gift, that is the thing, comes from above. So, uh, what is God saying? Where does prayer come in this? That's where Matthew 7, 11 and Luke 11, 13 is different. In Luke 11, 13, he will say, If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In the other thing God says about God giving good things, good gifts, here he talks about giving the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's connected with prayer. It's connected with asking in prayer. Certainty of receiving what you ask in prayer the epistle of John, First John 5, verse 14 and 15 says, Now this is the confidence we have in Christ, in Him. That if He asks anything according to His will, He hears us. What is that? If He asks anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we are asked of him. Okay, so God says, you have this confidence. If you ask through Jesus anything according to the will of God for you, you can be absolutely sure you will get it. Absolutely sure. That is why God says, you evil fathers, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, your heavenly father will give you the Holy Spirit so that you know how to ask in the father's will. Why? Because in Romans 8, verse 26 to 27, connected with prayer, scripture says, no, 26 to 27, not 32. 26 to 27 first. Likewise, the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit whom the Father gives, also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for. That's the truth. We don't know what to pray for. Who teaches us how to pray? Who prays through us? The Holy Spirit, if we allow. As we ought to. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit prays for us through us. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. How does the Holy Spirit pray? What is the difference between me praying with understanding and me praying in the Spirit, which I don't understand? When I allow the Holy Spirit to pray through me, or you allow the Holy Spirit to pray through you, He prays according to the will of God for you. And then, you pray accordingly, you can be absolutely sure that prayer will be answered. Okay, That's why 8.32 says again goes beyond that and says, if God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with also freely give us all things? He says, when you think about God, please remember, he says, he is not a kanju sitting over there. Okay, He is a father, and he is a father like no other father. No other father. If he gave, he did not spare his own son, how much more will he give us all things? So the Holy Spirit comes in prayer. 
And when we pray in the spirit and then it comes into our understanding, we already also know this prayer is answered. It's just a question of time. It is coming through. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 to 12, Paul will say, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now this is talking about, okay, eyes have not seen, nor ears heard, not entered into the heart of man, what things God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. God has revealed this. His spirit reveals it to you. That is where the Holy Spirit comes in prayer. Okay? In prayer, God reveals stuff to us. Like I know the, how exactly the door of my house in heaven looks like because I've seen it. Okay. So then if there are cracks in your door, in your house or not, it doesn't bother you. You need to realize how God, I mean, we get to see one crack over there, something falling. If you have seen the other one, this doesn't bother you anymore. If you know what your body is going to be like in the twinkling of an eye when some joint aches and all, it doesn't bother you because you know what it is going to be like. You know. He shows, he has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, even the deep things of God. God says, that's why you need the Holy Spirit in your prayer. Because he shows you stuff. How do you think all these people endured incredible suffering in prisons? And even died in prisons because they saw what was waiting for them. And it didn't bother them anymore because they knew that was eternity. That's why Apostle Paul is able to call all the suffering that he's going through as momentary affliction. In comparison to the weight of glory that is waiting for him. Okay, so without the Holy Spirit, this, these verses should be enough to change our prayer life. That without the Spirit, I really don't know how to pray. But if I can learn to pray in the Spirit and through the power of the Holy Spirit, it will change my entire approach, how I approach God and who God is and what He is like. Because we've been blinded by false narratives to see what the Father heart of God is. Our God is very touchable, very reachable, and He does respond to the prayers of His people. If as a child of God, you and I meet his conditions and pray, God will respond to prayer. He even changes his mind. He even changes his mind. Our God does not change his nature, but he changes his mind for his children if they pray. God has feelings just like us. Our feelings, we have feelings because we are created in the image of God. God has feelings just like us. In Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 to 7, scripture says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only even, only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. He saw his whole purpose for man failing. He loved man and he was grieved in his heart. Grieved. He sees man going down the road and he's grieved. God can be grieved. God grieves. That's why scripture says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 to 32. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. What is scripture talking about here? Bitterness grieves God. Wrath grieves God. Anger which leads to sin grieves God. Clamor grieves God. Evil speaking grieves God. Malice grieves God. God says, guard your heart from these things. Genesis 6 and verse 7, scripture will say, over there, it says the earlier verse we had looked at. 7, yeah. We'll come to seven. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creepy thing, for I am sorry. KJV will use the word, he repented. He changed his mind. Man was supposed to prosper and take dominion. He changed his mind. He said, I want to destroy them. God changes his mind from his original plan. God does change. But he changes on the other side also because of prayer. In Exodus 32, you know God is so upset with Israel. He has brought them in 40 days. They haven't seen Moses. They make this golden calf and they are dancing and jumping over there. And God wants to destroy Israel. And we will see it is the prayer of one man. One man who understood the heart of God that changed God's mind. In Exodus 32 verses 11 to 14, Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. This word relent is KJV, repent or change your mind. Please God. He's saying, what is Moses praying? Lord, would you please change your mind? God has said, I made up my mind. I'm going to destroy this people. And what does Moses say? Please change your mind. Please change your mind. And what does God do? Come further down. Remember Abraham, he makes all this, remembers God, reminds God about all this, and scripture says, the Lord relented. The Lord changed his mind. Prayer can make God change his mind. That's why the prayer of a righteous man or a woman availeth much, because it has the power to change the mind of God. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not Ask. You remember the story of Jonah. The message sent to Nineveh was 40 days. Nineveh will be no more. No more. Judgment was set. You're finished. 40 days at the end of 40th day. What you will see? Total destruction of Nineveh. But Nineveh repented. The entire city from the king down to the smallest animal took the message. Every whole nine yards where they went. They put sackcloth and ashes, fasted and even the animals fasted. Everybody was told to fast. The whole city went on a fasting and prayer. And that's what happens in Jonah chapter 3 verse 9. What did the people say? Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? They said, let us fast and pray. Who knows? God may change his mind. Who knows? God may change his mind. And verse 10 says, 
God did change his mind. God saw their works, then they turned from their evil ways and God relented them from disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. He changed his mind. Okay, before I forget, uh, for all of you who use online Bibles, how many of you use online? It's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing also. It's a bad thing also. It's not. But let's be neutral about it. How many of you use online Bibles? Don't use updates. Okay, save your online Bible, especially KJV, and keep it because the new updates that are coming in is changing the Bible. They're taking homosexuality. All those sins are being taken away. So one day you will end up with an online Bible where there is no mention of sin at all because the original companies that published has been bought by other companies which are not of God. So don't do updates because you may end up losing actual scripture and end up with a false one in your and may reading it where there is no conviction at all. Okay, so stick to KJV in your online and tamper-proof. No updates. It's already been updated. Okay, so be wise. So remember, God relented. KJV will say God repented, which means God changed his mind. Can make Prayer can make God change his mind. But often the problem is we are not like God, we are like Jonah. Jonah did not want God to change his mind. He was very upset that God changed his mind. So we want to put across strongly to people, God does not change his mind. You are set for destruction. You have no hope. But God says, always hope. I can change my mind. If my people who are called by my name, they humble themselves, they pray, they seek my face, they turn from their wicked ways, I will change my mind. I can change your destiny. Okay. It's most beautifully spoken through the prophet Micah. In Micah 7 and verse 18, Micah says, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. It's one thing God delights in. What does God delight in? He delights in mercy. So if he sees any human being humbling and praying, he's delighted to change his mind concerning them. He delights in mercy. That's what he says actually in Second Chronicles 7, the portion we have looked. If you looked at verse 14 and 15, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal the land. Now what does he say? Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. Look at verse 14. What is he saying? My eyes will be open. I'm watching. I'm watching you. Waiting and watching for you to get into your prayer closet. The one thing God is watching. Problem is all prayer closets are empty. He says, I'm watching, I'm watching. Who's getting to the prayer closet? Who's coming to pray? Who's coming to pray? My eyes will be open. And when you get in and you start praying, my ears will be attentive. I'll be, I'll, I will stop. It's just like, I will stop everything else and my ears will be listening to the one who is praying. My eyes will be watching you. My ears will be, I'm meaning I will give you 100% concentration. You can be guaranteed I am there with you if you pray. That is the father of the prodigal son watching and waiting. That's the father. 
You need the same father Jesus told about in the story of the prodigal son. He says, if my people have gone away, things are terrible in your life and you are now repenting and turning back. And he says, my eyes are watching, my ears. And that's exactly what we hear about the prodigal son. When he sees the son coming from far, he runs. How did he see him? Because his eyes were always watching. Well, the son is coming back. And ears were attentive. And the boy started saying, half only allowed him to speak. And he said, that's enough. And restoration takes place. That's what you see, the heart of God. In Isaiah 65, yes, and verse 24. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Even before we have finished our prayer, he says, I will hear. I will hear you. David knew was one man who understood the heart of God. In Psalm 65 and verse 2, he gives God a new name. You who hear prayer. What is your name? You who hear prayer. To you all flesh shall come. You are God who hears prayers. I know that. David says, I have a testimony. My testimony is, I know God as somebody who hears prayers. You cannot tell me our God doesn't hear prayer because he says, I know he hears prayers. You who hears prayer. God hears, God answers, God even changes his mind in response to the prayer of his people. Listen to what he says through the prophet Joel. In Joel chapter 2, 12 to 14. Therefore says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God for his gracious, merciful, slow to anger of great kindness and he relents repents, he changes his mind about judgment. Because I won't judge you. I will see no harm comes to you. I had already planned when I am looking at your ways, judgment was already set. This is what was going to happen to you. Then you turned and I turned. You turn, I will turn. You change, I will change my mind. There is nothing set about judgment because I am a God who delights in mercy. We see this over and over and over playing it out through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now look at a very interesting portion. That's the most beautiful portion for me about the heart of God is found in the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 17. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. He said, leave that fellow. Leave him. Why? His heart is joined to idols. He is yoked to things. An idolatry. He's an idolater. Leave him alone. But later, you will see him thinking and feeling like a typical father. Hosea chapter 11 verses 1 to 4. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to carved images. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. Are you getting the picture? He's just thinking like a father. First he's very upset because his son Ephraim is walking in total rebellion and he's yoked himself with idols. And he says, leave him alone. Yoked him. And then he's sitting as a father and thinking about Ephraim. I remember when I first got him. I carried him. 
I taught him how to walk. I remember how many times he fell. I remember how I ran behind the cycle, pushing him so he could get his balance. He is thinking of Ephraim's childhood and his heart is melting. He's thinking exactly like a father. Exactly like a father. He says, how can I forget? How can I forget Ephraim? How can I forget Israel? How can? I, I can't forget. I remember him from his childhood days. By the time he comes to verse 8, how can I give you up Ephraim? Leave him alone! <clears throat> and after some time he says, how can I give you up Ephraim? How can I give you up? How can I hand you over Israel? How can I make you like Adama? How can you set you like Zeboim? My heart churns with me. My sympathy is stirred. You are my child. He says, how can I give you up? I can give you up. He says, I cannot. In verse 9, I will not execute the fearness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come with her. He says, no, no, I'm changing my mind about Ephraim. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I love that child. He's mine. Is he walking in rebellion? Yes. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. The kindness of God. He is kind. He's incredibly kind. That's why he says he delights in mercy. He delights in mercy. He's not weak, but he's kind. That's what Romans 5, 4, Paul will say in his doctrinal text. Romans 5 and verse, no, 2, 2, 4, sorry, 2, 4. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, patience, his long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leads you to repentance? He says, have you forgotten all this? It is the kindness of God. His patience, his long-suffering. Like Ephraim is going after idols, but God is long-suffering. His patient, his kind, ultimately will turn Ephraim back to God. He says, this is what I am. This is what I am. He says, I don't give up. And have you used the word, the riches of his kindness. So God will always, you will always see God keeps on changing his mind concerning judgment. Scripture talks about it's a strange thing. God doesn't like judgment. Yet he rejoices, delights in mercy. Ultimately what will God have to do? God will have to judge. But as many times as possible in Jeremiah 15 and verse 6. You have forsaken me, says the Lord. You have gone back for Therefore I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of what? Of realize that I'm tired changing my mind concerning. You have backslidden so many times. I kept on changing. Okay, I will judge him today. Then I changed my mind. Okay, I'll judge him tomorrow. I changed my mind. He said I kept on changing my mind about judgment, but now I am tired of changing my mind concerning you. Tired. He says, I have to finally take the whip. I have to judge you. He said, I'm weary, I am tired. But it's a God who changes his mind if we pray. You will see, God's plan for Egypt was very clear. Very clear for Egypt and the Pharaoh was to destroy them. But over and over you will see when Moses cries out to God concerning the Pharaoh, who will keep on changing his mind, God changes his mind. Moses prays, God changes his mind. In Exodus 8 verse 13. Scripture says, so the Lord did according to the word of Moses. Moses will pray, Lord, 
please this man and the plague. God will hear his prayer. In chapter 9, verse 27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous. My people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail. For it is enough. I will let you go. You shall stay no longer. What the scripture says, Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease. There will be no more hail that you may know the earth is the Lord's. And he does. God hears this man's prayer. You look at verse 33. Scripture says, Moses will pray. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased. One man could change God's mind. Why is this important? Because we do not have, because we do not ask. We do not have. That's why all this is recorded in the Bible. We know the story of Abimelech. Abraham prays, his whole household is healed. Job is asked to pray for his friends, he prays, and they are restored. You look at the record of how God has used his people, you will see it's all because of prayer. And it is really sad to see how little God's people pray, because we are born again as atheists. We, not God's people. We, God's people. Not the others, others pray. Others pray. But the prayers are ineffective with the living God. But we who have access to the living God, we are the weakest in our prayer life. The Muslim will pray dutifully five times a day. Five times a day. Prayer doesn't reach anywhere to the living God. But he will pray dutifully five times a day. Buddhists, have you gone to a Buddhist nation? Every dot, every Hill, every mountain is full of prayer flags and all in the flags is the prayer that is written which is fluttering in the wind, meaning the prayers are going out. Every 20 yards you will see a prayer wheel where people go in and turn the wheel so the prayers are going around. And in remote areas, shortens are built with prayer wheels where the water is diverted so it goes through it so the prayer wheel is going 24-7, 365 days a year. It is full of prayer. Christians who have access to the living God. None of these people have access to the living God. Understand. You go to any time to any temple, it is full. My people who are called by my name, they humble themselves and pray. We don't even have to go anywhere to pray. He says, you are my temple. My spirit lives in you. You can pray through my spirit without ceasing. We have a living God. We have living, real promises. In Psalm 91 and verse 15, Scripture says, He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and I will honor him. We have a call who, God whom we can call. A God who answers. And the most famous verse we all know, but don't practice, Jeremiah 33. Verse 3, Call to me and I will... And everybody says, this is God's phone number, Jeremiah 33.3. All that people say, but the question is, are you using this line? Call to me and I will answer you, show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Psalm 72 verse 12, 
I'm just giving you three. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He says, if you cry out to me, I will deliver you. I'm a God who hears and who answers. We do not have because we do not ask. Why do people have no peace? Because they do not ask. God says, if you ask, the peace of God will guard your heart. It will garrison your heart. The peace of God will guard your heart. Why do people have no strength? They are burnt out. Because they don't ask. They don't ask. Why do people have no time? Because they don't ask. 119 provinces, if I'm right, was in Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and Darius and all these kings. Empire, 119, if I'm not sure, but I think it's 119 provinces stretching from one end till the borders of India. And the one in charge is Daniel. But he always had time to pray. Therefore, he always had the strength and the time to finish all his tasks. Why do my people have no strength? Because they do not pray. Why do my people have no time? Because they do not pray. They do not have Because they do not ask. Jesus had all the time to finish all his work because he always was very clear that my first priority is to pray. Why do God's children fail? Because they do not. Exams. Now I'm talking to children. Why do God's children fail in exams and not do well? You do not have because you do not ask. James 1.5 if any of you lacks wisdom, let him. And what kind of a God is our God? Conjures? No. He gives it to all generously. Why don't you have? Because you don't? Yes. Tuition, 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 and then fail. God says, let me ask. Let him ask of God who gives generously, liberally. John 15, 7. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. The Holy Spirit and my word is in control. You can ask what you desire. It will be done for you. Matthew 7, 7 we saw. Ask and it will be given to you. Honestly, where do all our struggles come from? As James said, Because we want from each other what often only God can give. Only God can give. That's what James 4, 1 to 3 is. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? If everybody decides from today, I'm not going to ask man anything first. That will be second. I will ask God first. You will see half the fights in your life start ceasing. Either God will say answer or he will say don't ask. If you don't ask, then you won't ask your wife or your husband, right? Where do all the fights come from? Where do all these wars come from? Do they not come from desires of pleasure that's war in your members? It's all fighting inside you. And then you lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Yes, you do not have because you don't ask. The problem, he says, the problem within the church is the lack of prayer. We don't really go to God and ask. Moses prayed 
and the sea was divided. Joshua prayed, time stood still. Hannah prayed and birthed a prophet. Elijah prayed, heavens was shut. He prayed again, the heavens were opened. Jacob prayed, simple prayer, just one line. What is that? Bless me. God said, I heard your prayer. From today you are a prince. Just one prayer, bless me before you go. Bless me. Bless me before you go. I I, I know you want to go, I will let you go, but before you go, can you do one thing? Please bless me. God said, fine, I'll bless you. You are Israel, prince with God, prince with man. One prayer. Hezekiah prayed. One night, the angel of the Lord came and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Finished, enemy is gone. One prayer. whole Bible, cover to cover, is the testimony or testimonies of answers to prayer. Answers to prayer. In Isaiah 45 verse 11, God says, Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. You command me. You command me. He says, you want to know the future of your children? You ask me. I will tell you. So that you will stop worrying. You command me, I'll tell you, O Israel. How much peace we will have. Ask of me. God wants us to pray. Why does he want us to pray? It's very clear God wants us to pray. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, he spoke a parable to them. That men always ought to pray and not to lose heart. Never stop praying. Don't lose heart. You lose heart if you stop praying. Always have to pray and not lose heart. In First Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, God says, pray without ceasing. If you pray without ceasing, you don't have time for other trouble. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for something. Few things. Most things, nothing. But, how does it follow it up? But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Because you don't have to worry, he says. You don't have to worry. People who worry, don't pray. People who pray, don't worry. Don't worry. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing. But the flesh is weak. The question is, question you and I need to ask is, why would God want us to pray in order to receive what we need? Right? Why does he want us to pray? He already knows what we need. He knows before we pray. Actually, he knows better than us. Even when we pray, he knows better than us what we need. Still, he says you need to pray. And pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. The reason is, we forget the very purpose God created us for. Initially Adam, and then us, redeemed through Christ. What is the purpose of creation? Let's look, I'll try to explain, Matthew 18 and verse 3. And assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, real conversion, real being born again, 
meaning you become like a child. Let me ask you this question. What is the primary way a child relates to its parent? By asking. Child has no shame. No pride, nothing. What it wants, it asks. Can I have? Can I have? Can I have? Okay. Child has no, no pride. It has no shame. Its primary conversation, child's primary conversation to the parent, the way a child relates to its parent is in asking. That's how a child begins a conversation. A child, when you come back home, the small child will say, Oh, wonderful father, how was your work today? He never asks any of these things. Never. He says, what did you bring for me? Did you bring? Huh? You promised me chocolate in the morning. Where's my chocolate? Did you bring my chocolate? Have you noticed? Have you noticed? How a child relates. That's how a child. Prayer is a way of starting a conversation. Prayer is a way of starting a conversation. Continual prayer will lead to continual conversation. God knows. The only way we will talk to Him is if we have a need in our life. Otherwise, we will not talk. Can you imagine, as soon as we are saved, all our needs were met, nobody will pray. All prayer meetings will be empty, churches will be empty, because we got what we wanted. Can you imagine a child in the house? TV with its eight programs, fridge with chocolate, ice cream, everything, and says, whatever you ever will think or dream is there, just open it and take it. It doesn't ask the parent for anything. God uses this to start a conversation with us and he said, you need to be converted and become as little children. Have you ever had little children, parents? Do you remember? Daddy, can I have a chocolate? Why do you want a chocolate? Because I like it. Didn't you have one in the morning? Yes. Do you still want a chocolate? Yes. Can you give me another reason why you want the chocolate? Because you are the best daddy in the world. Ah, that looks good. And any other reason? Yeah, you are the handsomest daddy in the world. Ah, that is a very good reason. Mm. I shall consider your request. How about a hug and a kiss? You get a hug and a kiss. Right? And you get the chocolate? Yes. What did it begin? How long did the con- Did it happen with you and your children? How can God... Get us to have a conversation with him. Do we ever think of God as a father loving one's fellowship with his children? Go read the Psalms again tonight and listen to what David talks about his God, his father. He's having an enduring conversation about how good you are, how smart you are, how strong you are. And God says, okay, what do you want? He's a father. What do you want? How else can God get a conversation with his children? The primary reasons, one of the primary reasons are prayer. Philippians 2.5, second. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this 
mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. How did this happen? We all say, oh I have the mind of Christ Jesus. No you don't have. Because you think like the world. You act like the world, talk like the world and live like the world. You don't have the mind of Christ Jesus. So how do I get the mind of Christ Jesus? The apostles tell it very clearly when they have an issue in the church. They pick eight people and then they give the reason why they are putting them in charge. In Acts chapter 6, we will give ourselves continually to what? To prayer and to the ministry of the word. Continually. Why? When two people talk or constantly communicate, their minds merge. One is through the word. When you're cons- Two things God has told us to do constantly. Meditate upon my word day and night and pray without ceasing. Meditate upon, not some other word, my word and pray without ceasing. He says, when you do this thing, my mind, your mind, merge. And because he is the higher mind, his thoughts flow into mine, and my mind becomes like his. Let this mind be in you. I believe that's where the weakness comes. It's not that we don't hear the word. It's because we don't pray. We have heard enough of the word, but the merging is still not happening because prayer life-wise we are very, very weak. Very weak. Or if we are very strong in prayer life, we are very weak in the word. Both need to be balanced. He says, they gave themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And their minds became like Christ Jesus. That's the only way. It happens. The merging of the minds. It is through communication. This is a marriage thing. Remember the first marriage law given to Adam in the garden? For this purpose man shall leave and cleave. There is a leaving and a cleaving. That cleaving takes place in communication. Otherwise you can leave and not cleave if you don't communicate. Look at Jesus. Matthew 14, 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up. He left by himself to pray, to cleave to his father in communication. He left and he is cleaving. Matthew 26, 36. Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. I don't want to pray with you because I know you guys. Either you will sleep or you will talk. I need to leave so that in my spirit I can cleave to my father in prayer. Leave and cleave. Mark 6 and verse 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Luke 6 and verse 12. Now it came into pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. He left and he was cleaving in prayer to his father. In Luke 11 and verse 1, it's an interesting word. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. This word, certain place. Certain in Hebrew means an appointed place where he used to usually most often. uh, There was a particular place where Jesus used to go to pray. A certain place, that's what it means. He had an appointed place where he used to go and pray. He used to leave and to cleave to his father. When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, meaning they could not interrupt him when he was praying. They knew they couldn't stop him 
For us all, it is one tring tring gone. Left the church, left the prayer, goes out, hello, and then coming back immediately in tune with God. It never happens. Doesn't happen. We take God very lightly. Honestly, very, 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 very lightly. Jesus wouldn't let anybody disturb him when he was in communication with his father. When he ceased, they knew he had finished. And then they asked him, will you teach us to pray? Like you. How can you be so intense in your communication with God? How can you be so intense? Lord, teach us to pray. It is through the word and prayer he remained in one mind. He remained in one mind with the Father. If you want to have the mind of Christ, we want to have the mind of Christ. It is through the be giving ourselves continually. That doesn't mean you shouldn't go to work and sit at home. But in your mind, you are meditating upon the word continually and in prayer. God's mind flows into our minds. And you know what happened? We can go through life like Jesus without getting worried and anxious through all the storms that is blowing around us. All the storms blowing and all the necessities that we have to face, the lack we face. He faced lack. It didn't bother him. Why shouldn't it bother him? Where did his assurance come from? What did he have that we didn't, it's not given to us? Actually, we've been given more than what he was given. How did his assurance come? How could he look at a crowd of five or ten thousand people with five loaves and two fish and say, sit down. Sit down. Groups of fifty. Let's take care of. Can you also be able to look at your provision in your hands, which is very little, and look at the enormous need in your life and say, I'm going to be seated in peace. Because I know my father is taken care of. It's already taken care of. Why? Because the minds have merged. God is not giving us some supernatural way to do things. It's very natural. Stay continually in the word. Stay continually in prayer. When you look at obstacles in life, you know your father is handling it. You will have peace. You don't have to worry. But he says you have to move to that. You have to move to that. Meditate upon the word day and night. Pray in the spirit without ceasing. That's why God chose not to supply all our needs apart from our asking. Teach us to pray. Give us. Ah, we have to pray. Third thing. Prayer makes the journey enjoyable more than the destination. When you are praying, you have a destination. Lord, I want this. That is the destination. This is my need. This is what I want. But prayer, if you really understand it, makes the journey more interesting than the destination. Let me explain to you in which we, we will understand. Okay. I just want to buy a loaf of bread. Just want to buy a loaf of bread and two packets of milk. So I tell my little fellow, come here. Not, now, not the big one. When you were small. Okay. Little fellow, come. Let's go to the supermarket. Excited. Friend of the scooter. Holding on like this. Go to the supermarket. Big trolley. Sits in the front. Going over there. In the, pro- what did I go for? Bread. It will take now 45 minutes. Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? What is this? What is this? What about ice cream tonight? By the time 45 minutes have come, bread and milk along with the whole thing is full. And the most enjoyable journey. Why? The journey was more important than, has become more enjoyable than the destination. People never see prayer like that. Lord, this is my need. Please, Lord, answer according to your name. Your promise, two promises, two confessions. Amen. Get up and go. There is no journey there at all. 
God says, this is a father, this is a relationship. I can get bread delivered, but can we take this trip together? Can we take this trip together? Can we take this trip together? That's how. Can you imagine Jesus prayed through the night? Through the night. I wish there was a recording those days because I would have liked to hear Jesus pray. I'm sure he didn't pray like us. It is so dry and monotonous. I'm sure he had a conversation with his father going on. It is a conversation. God too as a father is telling us, you want bread? I can give you bread. But can we take a trip together and have some time together? Because that's the only time I will get you. Fourth thing, it keeps my faith alive. You need to realize, we, 21st century Christians, people who have much, often believe little. Do you have to believe for bread? No. God. When Jesus is talking about everybody gets their daily wage, you don't know whether you will get a job. You go to city corners, city inside, in this Hyderabad city also, you will see in junctions, people all standing. Who are those who are standing? The poor. Why will somebody hire me today? We don't worry like that. We don't worry like that because we know either our salary or pension will be clocked in at the end of the month. But that man who is standing over there every day, he is dependent. If somebody hires me, I'll get 500 rupees. I can bring something home. If somebody doesn't hire me, then today I'll wait, 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 wait and go. You go to North India, Assam, anywhere. Every junction in the morning will be crowded with people looking for who will hire them today. Their dependency is real. And it is such a people, God is saying, I'll give you daily bread. I won't give you a week's ration. I won't give you one month's manna. I'll give you manna every day. Every day. So that that will keep your faith alive. Keep your faith alive. We are dependent upon him and we will realize he is dependable. On the other hand, 21st century Christian is crisis driven. We don't need him for food. We don't need him for petrol. We don't need him for clothes. We don't need him for studies because tuition centers are there. We don't need him for anything. Then crisis hits. We need him. Sudden crisis has come where we cannot meet the need. Then suddenly we are dusting our prayer closet, finding our Bible, learning to pray. Why? Because we have never needed him in any of those other areas. We are crisis driven. We are not relationship driven. God says, if that's the only way I can get you to talk to me, I will let crisis happen in your life. Otherwise, you don't talk to me. You're not dependent upon me. When we say, our Father who art heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy... and say, give us this day our daily bread, what do we mean? The problem is, if we are crisis driven, we don't really know him. We don't really know him. I know today it doesn't work that way, but you have a pain, then depending upon the area you have a pain, you go see the specialist. Our days when we grew up, you only had the family doctor. He knew you, he knew your mother, he knew your grandfather and grandmother, he knew everybody. When you went to see him, which was an event in your life, he doesn't talk about his sickness, he starts talking about your studies. 
He'll ask you which clothes. Huh, okay. Which one's child are you? I know your grandfather had these many children. Which one's child are you? Okay, this one. By the time he has talked to you for 15 minutes, then he will tell you what's your problem. And I'll say, by the time you are so relaxed and so calm, because this was not going to a specialist because he had a crisis, it was a family visit. That's why he was called the family physician. But we go to God, not on family visits, we go to God when we have crisis. To the specialist. I can handle this, I can handle this, I would, this I can't handle, God is the specialist. God says, you know, it doesn't work that way. I want you to know me. I know you, but I want you to know me. Those who know God, through word and through prayer. Through word and through prayer. Both continually, both word and prayer. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 32 says, The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. How did Daniel do great exploits? How come Daniel was so strong that nothing would face him? The reason he knew God continually through the word and through prayer. If you mark out two areas in Daniel's life, it was simply the word and with his prayer. He couldn't ever take these two away from his life. Absolutely solid in the word and in his prayer life. That is what James is talking about. We do not have, because we do not ask. We look at verse 4, 3 later, maybe next week. We have to understand God's purpose. Why did he make it necessary we need to pray to him and pray to him continually and be connected to him in prayer? Another purpose is original purpose, dominion. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Original purpose. God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness. When we are made in God's image and his likeness, he said, let them also have dominion over all of creation on earth. My image, my likeness, take dominion. Dominion. This was the original purpose. The original purpose of having dominion over God's creation was only possible through two things. If man had to have dominion over God's creation, it was possible through two things. One, Genesis 2.15. And the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work, to keep it. What did man have to do? He had to work like God. If I have to have dominion over God's creation, I need to work like God. God is a work. Second thing man had to do is Genesis 3.8. 3, 8. And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves. What does it mean? Adam and Eve had fellowship with God every day. Two things in the original purpose of God to have dominion. You need to work like I work. Two, you need to have continuous fellowship with me. Two things. That's what Jesus will say. I only do what I hear my father say and I only do what I have seen my father do. That is exactly our purpose. I hear and fellowship with God and I do his work. That's how dominion was supposed to be in the beginning. But when man fell, fellowship was gone, broken. And he lost his rule or his dominion. Now the entire purpose of salvation of God with man, his 
it's changed. It's no longer dominion. Its primary purpose is salvation. Okay, we have to take, don't look at Genesis 1, 26 and 6, oh, now I am saved, I will have dominion over all of earthly creation. No, you have to be very, very realistic. I wish God's people were very realistic and looked at world the way you see through scripture. First Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 50. For he who would love life, no, 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 no. Not three. Give me a second. Chapter, uh, second Peter, I'm sorry. Verses are right, but second Peter. Okay, second Peter 3, 10 to 15. Got it? Take a good reading, okay, of this. In the day of, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Take a good look. Now take a good look around. Take a good look around. Take a look around. Turn around and look. Take a look around. Except for the people you see saved, everything will be burned up. There will be nothing left. This is the end of this creation. There will be nothing left. Not even cinders. Everything will be vaporized. This is the end of this world. Everything. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire. What is it talking about? It's basically talking about almost like a nuclear thing. It will be vaporized. Nothing will be left. That is the end. Of this world, nothing will be left. Everything will be consumed by fire. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Fervent heat. It's very clear. It's talking about that. Because if you read parallel portions in the Old Testament, Zechariah and all of that scripture actually talks about that before the body falls to the ground, the ice would melt. And you know that will happen only in a nuclear explosion because when it happens, what a nuclear explosion does, it sucks up all the vapor, every trace of water from the air. So when a nuclear explosion happens, before your body hits the ground, your eyes would be vaporized because of the liquid. And it was written thousands of years ago. What is going to happen to this world? Everything will be gone. Gone, finished. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. He says, take a clear look about what dominion means now. We are not going to have dominion over this earth because this earth will be gone. Everything will be gone. There's no point running after these things. You really need to go to a burned down house and have to, or see pictures of people when the houses are burned down. They go through, the, everything is gone. Then they find one thing that is also gone. What are we going to pick up from this world? Nothing. 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 So God says, now what you need to realize, primary purpose focus should be salvation. Not dominion over earthly things. Salvation should be your primary focus. So the new man sees life and work Differently, absolutely differently. 
The old man looks at work differently. The new man looks at life differently. In John chapter 14 verse 12, this is what Jesus said about life. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. It's greater works if you believe. If you believe. This is, which is true. Even a simple weak vessel like me have spoken to more nations, more people and had more meetings than Jesus himself had. If you believe. But he's talking about a different work. He's not talking about earthly work. He's talking about a different work of a kingdom. He says you will. But it's a work connected with salvation alone. It's connected with the salvation of souls. That's what he is talking about because I go to my father. Work changes. What was the work of Jesus Christ? Primary work of Jesus Christ. The work that he did so that we could benefit from his work. He had dominion over his flesh. He had dominion over the world. He had dominion over the devil. Therefore he did not sin. He did not sin. God's primary purpose in the new man's life is that you should have dominion in life. Romans 5.17 will put it across it this way. He says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through that one, how much more those who receive an abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through that one Jesus Christ. He said you should reign in life. You should have dominion in life. It's not a dominion over things. It's a dominion over sin. It's a dominion over the flesh. It's a dominion over the world. It's a dominion over the devil. That is the primary work. And God says, if you do not pray, this will never happen. How did my son have dominion? By prayer. Prayer. Now you go back and read Hebrews 5, 7 and 8 and 9. You will suddenly understand this is what Jesus was doing. He doesn't have to have dominion over the things of this world. He need to have dominion over this. Who in the days of his flesh, he had offered a prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. What death? Not the death on the cross. That's the death of atonement. From the death that comes from sin. He was tempted at all points, but he did not sin. He says he had dominion. He was one man who walked in the fallen world and had dominion. Absolute dominion. He says the ruler of this world has come. He found nothing in me. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He can tempt me in all points, but he did not sin. But do you think it was because he had such supernatural power? Yes, he had. But everybody has access to that same power, but he made use of it. He was one mind to his father because he continually meditated upon the word and he was continually given over to prayer. And he says, that's the purpose of prayer, so that you can have dominion. If you don't pray, you will sin. If you pray, God says, you can overcome sin, because your mind and my mind becomes one. You get over worry, you get over anxiety, nothing has to change outwardly, because you have been renewed inwardly. The very life of Christ you are partaking. That is the life that overcomes and it is not going to change unless our prayer life changes. You can listen to the word all your life. But if it does not change into our prayer life, that's why God says, you do not ask, 
You do not have because you do not ask. So what happens if we don't pray? We saw already. We sin. That's what Saul, Samuel will say about Saul in 1 Samuel 12, 23. He will say, I will not sin against the Lord. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. If we don't pray, we will end up sinning against God. If we don't pray for others, we will end up sinning against others. If we don't pray to God, we will end up sinning. That's what Jesus said in Mark 14, verse 38. We already look, lead us. Enter not into temptation. Watch and pray. Why do people fall? Because they don't pray. Every No man has fallen while praying. No man. Why do we need deliverance? Because we have fallen so deep, we have no strength even to pray now. Now we need somebody else to come and deliver us out. But God says that was never the way it should have been. You continuously pray your way through. You don't need deliverance. But if there is need of deliverance, deliverance is there. So if you don't pray, God says, be careful, you sin. And you will fall headlong into sin. Second thing, if you don't pray, James 4.2. That is what we saw. What is that? We get into all kinds of internal and external fights because we do not have. We don't have because we don't ask. We don't have. Like I said on Wednesday, it would be so simple instead of fight. Let's just put simple examples. A wife who wants something from God, from her husband. Let's say she wants a sari. He is not interested in a sari and he doesn't have the money for a sari. So she asks him and he says no. And now she is sulking. It can be the other way also. She is sulking or he is sulking, whatever is happened. What on the other hand, she is a praying woman and she tells, she is praying, praying, praying and in the middle of it she asks God also, Lord, I would like a sari. And God hears. God hears, he says, and the husband is at a workplace and he puts the thought into his mind. You know what? Today you need to buy a sari for your wife and surprise her. And he buys a sari, brings it home. Isn't it such a wonderful occasion? No conflict, no fight, nothing. You do not have because you do not ask. Do not ask. God says, why don't you do it that way? Instead he says, you lust, you want it. But you do not have. Then you start murdering and coveting and fighting and all kind of stuff. So he said, why don't you direct it to me? I am your father. I know you. When you come to me with this, if it was not meant for you, I would whisper in your ears, don't ask your husband. He's already tensed up this month because expenses are high. He's trying to cover it from you because he knows you're a worrying kind. So he's not telling you the actual picture. Don't ask him anything at all this month. On the other hand, today, when he comes, you would say, honey, how about cutting down expenses this month? Do you hear from God? Oh yes. And he comes back. He's not telling anything to his wife and you tell, honey, I think we are overspending this month, which you haven't done, but let us cut down. And he feels peace. Thank you, Lord. She understands. She understands. God says, that's what I wanted life to be. You would all come to me in prayer. I would tell you what to do. There would be peace in your homes. Absolutely peace in your homes. You do not have... Because you do not ask. 
And the problem, third problem, if you don't pray, we all need wisdom to make right choices in life. Right choices. Right choices. What does scripture says in James chapter 5, sorry, 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. Lord, I need wisdom. Lord of unmarried young girls and boys, Lord, I need wisdom. Whom do I marry? My heart says this, my mind says this, pastor's messages says this, I am totally confused, oh Lord. Whom do I marry, Lord? Give me wisdom. Which job do I choose, Lord? Lord, I finished and six doors have opened. I remember when I had to make my choices. Seven doors open. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I said, oh Lord, which door, oh Lord? One, two, three, four, five, six. He shut and kept seven open. I was hoping he would shut seven, six, five, four, three, two and keep one open. Nothing. He shut one, two, three, four. Over silly things. But now I look back and I say, oh wow. Like the Bible college, the most famous Bible college in India. I've applied. I've been highly recommended. I should be getting it. And then I put one little clause. One simple clause. If you do not give me marriage accommodation, consider my application withdrawn. And they withdrew my application. And they had marriage accommodation. Over that one clause, they withdrew it. And I look back and I said, Lord, I thank you. I didn't go to the Bible college. Otherwise, my mind would have been framed according to their doctrine. How do you get wisdom? If you don't ask. Without wisdom, how do you make choices which are right in God's eye? He says, if you do not pray, you do not ask, you do not receive. Third, sorry, fourth, James chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. If any among you suffering, is anybody suffering? Let him pray. Why is suffering not going? Because you don't pray. Anybody suffering? Let him pray. Is anybody cheerful? Let him sing. Otherwise your cheerfulness will go away. Keep singing. If you want to continue in your joy, keep singing. If you can't sing like me, whistle. If anyone among you sick, let him call the elders of the church. Let them pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. So what is God saying? Are you suffering? Pray. Are you sick? If you don't pray, you'll continue in your suffering. If you don't pray, you may continue in your sickness. Pray. A lot of people are continuing in their suffering because they won't pray. They won't pray. They're continuing in their sickness because they won't pray. James has answers to all this. Okay, It's a very interesting episode. Then, fifth one. Second Chronicles 16, 12 to 13. If you don't pray. In the 39th of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. 39, 40, 41. He died after two years. Why? Because he did not pray. Why do people die prematurely? Because they don't. You may die prematurely before your time because you refuse to pray. He could have prayed, but he refused to pray. He's not the king of Syria. He's the king of Israel. Refused to pray. 
First Chronicles chapter 10 verses 13 to 14. Another man. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness which he had committed against the Lord. Because he did not keep the word of the Lord. Also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of God. Why did Saul die? Prematurely before his time? Because he did not inquire of the Lord. But he inquired everybody else. We also do. We inquire from everybody else, but we do not tarry in prayer. And God says, remember Asa, remember Saul, remember. So remember these things. If we don't pray, we will fall into temptation, into sin. We don't pray, we get into all kinds of conflicts and fights because we don't have, because we don't ask. If we don't pray, we don't have the wisdom to make real spiritual choices. We don't pray, we continue in our suffering or our sickness. We don't pray, we may even die prematurely. Then, from Exodus 32, verse 9 and 10, the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, indeed it's a stiff-necked people, now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make you a great nation. What's the sixth lesson? If you don't pray, others may die. Moses hadn't prayed, Israel would have died that day. Israel lived because Moses prayed. We don't pray, others may die. Or we may be just alive because others are praying. Both ways. Both ways. We may be just alive. We are thinking I am alive because I eat well, I exercise well, I study well. God says, no honey, (laughs) you are well because I am hearing the heartbroken cries of those ones who is calling you out by name every day. And I have those pastors conference every second Saturday and those simple poor pastors, they come and they hold my hand and says, in our church, we pray for you without fail regularly. I say, oh Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. It's not just a man. Now it's a church that is upholding me in prayer. We may be even successful in what we are doing because others are praying. But if we don't pray, others will die. Understand this. The curse of prayerlessness in our lives. We've been set apart. We are the body of Christ. And we are called the temple of the living God. What is the first work Jesus did in the temple? And what did he say? My father's house shall be called the house of My father's house shall be called the first house of, shall be called the house of prayer. This Alfred Lord Tennyson, as I'm closing, who said, Tennyson in his poem, I forgot, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams. More things are wrought, means done because of prayer than this world dreams. Somebody else said this. Apostle James was in prison. The church slept and James died. Peter was in prison. The church was awake, praying. Peter slept and God sent an angel and delivered him. The difference between these two deaths was 
one time the church was not praying the second time the church was awake and praying therefore god delivered peter amen amen remember this next time when we meet if we look at why we pray and we don't ask we don't get as a close just think for a minute think of the old covenant and the old tabernacle and the two there were only two altars in the temple two altars outside one inside one was for sacrifices the other was for incense one was for sacrifices the other was for incense this represented the sacrifice of christ this represented the intercession of christ this represented prayer this represented his sacrifice it's only because of this this was acceptable without this this is not acceptable so god says no man can come to god in prayer other than through jesus in my name so there were two altars one was the altar for for sacrifices were burnt and there was an altar for incense to be burned and you will know incense was the prayer that was going up so scripture says now jesus is for our prayer and here is this sacrifice okay that is also representative for us where there is no coming through the sacrifice of christ jesus our prayers will never be acceptable okay what is common between these two this and this there was one thing common only one thing common what was common was the fire was the same this incense could be lit only with the fire that was taken from here the fire was the same you couldn't use another fire this fire was first lit by god fire was first lit by god that fire could never be allowed to go out and this fire was used here for the incense that's what god is saying with other than through the fire of the holy spirit nothing is acceptable nothing that's why he told them wait wait the holy spirit will come when he comes all things are possible all things let this message change your prayer life and your word life and you will suddenly realize what you wasted your time worrying about wasn't really problems what you thought as lack was only because of not asking that we have a father who delights in mercy who a father who runs to us when we run to him entire paradigm shift should take place up here the way you think and enjoy your prayer time with god I'm not talking about making prayer request and answer. I'm talking about the time you spend time with God. You should enjoy it. The journey should be more exciting than the destination. The journey should be more exciting than the destination. When you study this, the journey should be more exciting than the destination. Journey. There's a journey here, a revealing. of a person we are not studying for knowledge we are not studying to write an examination we are looking here to know a person a person tonight today change the way you read your bible the way you pray you pray 
Yes, we need answers for prayer, but more than that, there is a person behind that prayer. Let your prayer closet, your room, wherever you pray, it let it be an exciting place where you enjoy spending time with God. Those of you have phones and those of you have those apps, just check your app. It will tell you how many hours you have talked each day. Honestly, some of the, many of the phones have it, right, Sammy? Many phones have it. You look at it. And some of you need to check your phones and you will see you have talked around 28 hours this week. On phone alone, not one-on-one. Okay, phone alone, 28 hours, 32 hours, 33 hours, 50 hours. You have to look at people, how much they talk. Then go back and check how much time did you talk to God. Talk to God. And that's why when we come here and when we worship, we feel so hollow. Because those songs are powerful. Even the songs which we sang today, they're all powerful. And we try to say how I love you and break through. Feel so empty. God says, I want to break through for you, but I've been trying to catch your attention for the past seven days. You wouldn't even sit there in the prayer closet, minish you rattled off your prayer, you got off and you went. I wanted to give you your breakthrough. And then we fight. Fight inside. Fight with one another. We have no rest because we don't have. We don't have because we don't ask. We don't have because we don't ask. Next week we will look at when we ask. When we ask. Why we don't get. It's all connected with a person. Connected with a person. This kid, when he was four, five years old, used to ask me, can I have your razor? No. Now I have to tell him, will you take a razor and shave, please? We also ask God many things. And God says, no. Laidu. We will look next week why God says no. Why our prayers are not answered. Why they won't be answered unless we change. Those things, God does not change. Otherwise, He's changed. He's a God who delights in mercy. For some of the prayer requests which I got today, where those people are struggling with sin, it's a God who delights in mercy. Delight in mercy. Come back to Him. He will forgive. Then pray. That you don't fall again. You can. Go through day after day, week after week, month after month without falling. Don't say these things are impossible. These things are possible. Why? Because it is written. Why? Because it is. I'll give you that scripture and close. And then we will pray. I have to give you scripture. I will say, will say Pastor James taught one new theology. Okay. Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 10. And we will pray. Got it? Therefore, brethren, even be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never, you'll never stumble. You'll never. If you don't stumble, you won't fall. Stumbling comes before falling. You'll never stumble. Now this is homework. Before this, how many verses are there? How many verses? Nine. Therefore, if you do these 
things. Go and do your homework. What are the things we have to do? Nine words. Just nine verses for tonight. Just nine verses. It will take a lifetime to understand that nine verses. Okay? But God says, add this to this, 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 to this. And if you do these things, you can make your election, your call, your election, sure, and you will never stumble. And then verse 11 will make your mouth water. You know what verse 11 is? Richie, shall we make their mouth water? Only spiritual mouth, okay? So an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly. And now we will say, a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. Meaning just think in your mind as you die and enter into the kingdom of God. Everyone heaven stands up. Well done. Rich welcome. Abundantly into the everlasting kingdom will be supplied. Your entrance won't be an ordinary entrance. It will be an extraordinary entrance into the kingdom of God. Can you imagine the Romans all shouting and screaming when Paul's head is cut off? But do you know what happened in heaven when he entered? I believe every seraphim, every cherubim, every saint stood up and said, Come, rich entrance. That's what God is talking about. That's This is what life is. This is what we are running for. This is what we are called for. God says, this is what... The reigning in life means. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this morning we come to you, Lord, confessing our sins, our shortcoming, our weakness. Our weakness in our word life, our weakness in our prayer life, O Lord. Your word says, O Lord, my house shall be called a house of prayer. In our personal prayers, Father, I pray today, not tomorrow, today, you would supply that strength, that power people lack, we lack, Lord. I pray, Lord, you would empower us, your children, through your spirit. For we do not even know what to pray for. But Father, we will learn to lean on to your spirit. And our prayer life will continue to increase starting today, Lord. Young and old will learn to spend time with you in prayer. If you separated yourself from the crowds, you separated yourself from your own disciples and spent time in prayer, how much more, Lord, we need, Lord, we need so that we may have the mind of Christ Jesus. Teach us to pray, Lord, teach us to pray and help us to pray. Pray, Father, each one here will be called the house of prayer. For you promised greater works than these you will do if we abide in you. Help us to abide in you in the word and in prayer. Empower. Those who are suffering, I pray they will pray. Those who are sick, I pray they will pray and call for prayer. Those who lack wisdom, I pray Lord, They will pray. We all lack wisdom. Those who lack in any area in their lives, I pray they will learn to ask so that your joy may be complete as a father and our joy may be complete as a child. Teach us to pray so that we do not sin. 
teach us to pray and seek your face that we do not die prematurely before our time. And Lord, teach us to pray so that others do not die because of our negligence. Teach us, O Lord, to pray. Help us to pray. As we go into another week, another month, I pray you cover us with your spirit. Let your people find shelter under the shadow of your wings. Some mother hen covers her chickens. Cover us with your feathers, O Lord. For there is safety only in one place. Help us to stay in that place, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Bless your people. We need you. We need you, Lord. Bless your people. Look at your people with favor, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we might have peace, that we might have your rest. Knowing our Father is in absolute control of every area of our life. Help us to know, Lord. Even these children who are writing their exams, help them to know God is in control. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Now we, your children, we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.